Hi, and welcome to Follow's weekly message podcast. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message inspires you and helps you to follow Jesus in your community for His glory. Here's the message. Morning. How's everyone going? Good. I feel so pretentious. I got a new iPad and I'm preaching from it, so it feels a bit weird. Oh, calm down. No, it's good to be here. Good to be together. Uh, hello to the live stream, and uh, just want to let everyone on the live stream know you don't have to adjust your television sets or your monitors. Yes, my T-shirt really is that bright. Yeah, but I've actually learned that on streams and and on a video, it's not as bright. So you guys are getting like the full Shekinah glory. You're just getting it all. Yeah. Uh, no, it's exciting. Uh, obviously, as Luke said, that we're we're working through some of the things that came up through the imagination, uh, reimagination sessions, <laughs> and uh, we're up to servanthood, and, and it's an important part that we understand that that's where we're going, that's the new thing that God wants to put in our hearts, is that we are a community of believers that serves. And I thought it'd be really cool to talk about why we should serve today, and uh, I was praying about what verse to, to read, and, uh, and God really put this one on my heart, which is Galatians 5.13. It says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. So we have been given freedom. By the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we have been uh, reconciled to God in heaven, and we can experience freedom right now. And we get a choice of what we do with that freedom. We can either serve one another in love or we can use it for our own sinful nature, our own sinful desires. And further down in Galatians 5, in verse 19, it says this. It says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, uh, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone who lives this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the freedom that we have, we can live a life that is nothing like God wants for us, or we can live a life that God wants. And what life that God wants for us is that we serve one another in love. That's what God wants for us. There's a town in Spain, in central Spain, called Segovia. And Segovia made the news quite a while ago because they, uh, they had these beautiful aqueducts that were made by the Romans in 109 AD. And the aqueducts would carry water down from the mountains and into the town that they would use for drinking, bathing, washing, all those sorts of things. And one day they decided, you know what, we're actually going to put them to rest. These aqueducts, have, they've done their job and we're going we're gonna to retire them. They'll be beautiful monuments for everyone to see, but we're going to put in modern plumbing. This happened 60 generations after they were made. So for 60 generations, they'd been serving the people of Segovia in Spain, but now they're going to replace it with modern plumbing. So that's what they did. They put the modern plumbing in, they cut off the water to the aqueducts, and the town was happy for a while. Because what happened is as the water stopped running over the aqueducts, the sun beating down on the aqueduct started to dry the mortar and started to make it crumble and the bricks started to move and the whole thing lost its structural integrity. You see, what generations of service could not do, 
idleness did. What generations of service could not do, idleness did, and it lost its effectiveness of what it was created to do. You see, we are created for community with God, but we also, with that freedom we have, is we actually designed to serve. And that's how we're going to be effective in the kingdom, for what God wants us to do is to actually serve and be active in what God's doing in our community. And when we don't do that, we find that we lose our effectiveness because we become idle. See, we're not called to be idle. We're not called to be broken. We're not called to be monuments or, or, or you know, reminders of a, of a beautiful past. We're called to be free. And we're called to serve. So then, if we are designed to serve, if we are called to serve, then we have to ask the question, why is it so important to God that I serve? Why is it so important to God that we as a Christian community serve? Well, Mark 10, 45 gives us a bit of an idea. It says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. And we read later in the Gospels that Jesus gets down on his hands and his feet in the dirt and he washes his disciples' feet. This is absolutely scandalous. This is not just a teacher, a leader, and a rabbi. This is God. This is an equal member of the Trinity who created everything that we see and everything that we don't see. He created the stars. He created the the oceans which he holds in his hands. It was created through him, for him, by him. This God is kneeling in the dirt and washing dirt off sinful men's feet. Absolutely scandalous. But what Jesus was doing is he was showing us this upside down world, this kingdom living, which is different to what we know. You see, in Jesus' time and and even in ours, like, you know, you don't have leaders doing that kind of thing. When was the last time Dan Andrews came around to your house and cooked a meal for your family? It doesn't happen. And we've got the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, showing us that the kingdom living is upside down to what we know. And in this kingdom, you die to yourself. You give yourself away for the sake of other people. Die to yourself. And when I read the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, there are three things that that really stand out to me. The first one is, everyone serves. Everyone serves. You know, so often what we do in our our Christian world these days is we have this gripe against the church. Oh, the church is just entertainment. It's just a show. Like, I wish it just wasn't such a show. Maybe the reason it feels like a show, and I'm just going to be bold here, is because we treat it like it is. We come and we expect to be entertained. Oh, I didn't like the songs they sung this week. Oh, the sermon wasn't really good for me. Oh man, do you see how they had the chairs set out this week? I did not like that at all. If we treat it like a show, it's going to be a show. We're not called. It doesn't say use your freedom to come to church and sit and listen. It doesn't say use your freedom to gripe about every decision that's made. What it says is use your freedom to serve one another in love. And when we see what Jesus was exampling, we have to see that everyone serves. Everyone serves. We see also that servanthood is beneath no one. No one. If you, if you are a pastor, you serve. And if you're the person who comes in for the first time, you know what? There's an opportunity for you to get involved. Everyone serves. It's beneath no one. Because if serving is beneath you, 
One thing we learned from Jesus is that the kingdom is beyond you. If serving is beneath you, the kingdom is beyond you. Because that's what the kingdom is about. That's what Jesus showed us. And if we are to be Christians, which is, as Luke said last week, little Christs, we do everything like Jesus, we mirror images of Jesus, we walk like him, we talk like him, we sleep like him, we eat like him, we teach like him, we live like him, and he gave himself away and served, why do we think that we can do any different? We serve. You know, there's a story that came out of the American Revolution, and it's a story of a guy who was riding a horse, and he comes across two men who are trying to fix a broken barricade. And they're really, like, they're, they're, they're rushed. They know that the enemy's coming. They're trying to fix this thing. And the guy on the horse goes, you need more men. You can't do this alone. And the men say, well, we don't have anyone who can help us. The man looks up onto the hill and he sees a corporal who is the leader of these men. And he's shouting and barking orders, telling them to get this job done as quickly as possible. And the guy on the horse shouts to the corporal and says, well, why don't you come down and help them? They clearly need help. And the corporal says, I'm a corporal. I lead men, I don't do tasks. That's beneath me. That's someone else's job. So the guy decides, well, I'm going to do it. And he gets off the horse and he helps these guys put this barricade back up and fix the barricade. And it's all sorted. He gets on his horse and he goes up to the corporal and he says, hey, you clearly don't have enough men for this task. So next time you find that there is a task that you are too advanced for, that you are too much a leader to do, call your president, call your commander-in-chief and tell him that you need help. And when you do, I'll come again. Because the man on the horse was George Washington. He was their president, right? The corporal is too, too, nah, it's too much for me. The president is happy to get off get in the dirt and help people fix things because serving is beneath nobody, no one. Everyone serves and serving is beneath no one. After the service today, we're going to be giving everyone an opportunity to go and look at the the pages that are on the wall of areas within this church where we need help. We need everyone to to band together and to be the body. As Luke talked last week, you know, the body works in unison. They have different functions, but they work together. And if you're not serving, I would encourage you to go over and have a look. But before you do, I need to just preach to three points, okay? Just three points this morning. Because two of them are reasons that I would love you to examine your heart, right? Because if any of these things are going on in your heart, There's some stuff to be done with God before you go over to those pieces of paper. And the last point is when you're in that space, go look at the pieces of paper. All good? All right, so three points. I'll try and get through them as quickly as I can. The first one is this, is that we can't serve because we want others to see us. So others will see me. And you think, well, that's obvious. No one's serving because others will see them. And I think if we dig a little bit into our hearts, we might find that that might be in there just a little bit. A couple of years ago, quite a few years ago, Casting Crowns released a song, uh, and in that song they talked about the stained glass masquerade, right? And it's about the fact that we come to church and we say that we're all good and we're happy, and you know, when someone says, how's your week been? And you go, oh, it's been great, thanks for asking. But you know, my, my, my week's been horrible. I've had a terrible week. I don't know why I just said I was okay, because I'm not okay right? 
But I think that that's what we do in regards to serving is, you know, what we go is, I oh, mean, I just need to play the part. I need to make sure people see me playing the part because if I play the part, then you know what? Maybe I fit in this community, which is wrong thinking. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that anyone in their serving is waking up in the morning saying, I just feel like deceiving somebody today. So I'm going to go serve in an area that I don't feel called to. I'm not passionate. I don't love, but I'm going to do it so other people see me doing it. No one wakes up saying that, right? But the reason that it happens is because, man, if I, if I do things, even if it's an area that I'm not passionate about, even if it's something that, that is not in my gifting, I'm going to go and do it because then the people who I respect will see me doing it. And like my leaders, my pastors, my family, my friends, my parents, they'll see me doing it. And because I'm doing those things, that means that I am useful. And if I'm useful, that means I'm valuable. See, I think that when we find ourselves getting into this place of serving so others will see us, it's not because we want to deceive, it's because we want to communicate and we desperately want people to see that we have value. And instead of going to God and saying, God, tell me who I am, because I can tell you now, the only sustaining truth that will sit in your heart about your value comes on the lips of God. But when we, when we, we try to do things and we serve for that value, I can tell you now, it is fleeting and you will burn out because you're doing things that you don't want to do. You're actually, you're not interested in it. There's a great biblical example of people like this. And they get a really bad rap, and I'm just going to wrap them even further. The Pharisees. <laughs> they were doing things for outer appearance so people would see them. They prayed long prayers. They wore special garments. They were learned scholars. They had all the answers. They were holier than everybody. They had images to attain. And here's the biggest problem of all of that is they loved every minute of it. They loved to be those people that, that people would look at and go, man, they are just, they're the best. They're so good. I wish I was more like them. And they lapped it up. Yeah, you want to be more like me. Look at me. Look at the clothes I wear. Look at the prayers I pray. I keep all of the old laws I do. Oh, man, like, you know, I'm the best. Come and follow me. I'm good. I'm a great example of who you need to be. Let's see what Jesus, when Jesus interacted with him, let's see what he had to say. And by the way, out of all of the, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners, and every single scum of the earth that Jesus interacted with, he had no issue with any of them and welcomed them all into the kingdom. And we see the consistent pattern of Jesus throughout the Gospels is that the people he consistently had a problem with was the Pharisees. So in Matthew alone, Matthew 23, by the way, Matthew 23, if you want to see an absolute smackdown, go to that. Jesus just lays it down real strong. But in Matthew 23, 23, he calls them hypocrites. In verse 15, he calls them children of hell. In verse three, in three, seven, uh, chapter 3, 7, brood of vipers, blind guides. He says they will not enter the kingdom. He says they're false teachers and they are dead inside. It's pretty bold, right? And if we can be absolutely real, you know, 2020 is gone. The church has changed. Everything's changed. As we go into 2021 and beyond, let's be authentic. Let's be vulnerable. Let's be real, yeah? And if we can be authentic and bold and, and vulnerable and real, we, I don't care, I'm going to do it, and I'm, I'm hoping you're with me here, is that sometimes I can serve like a Pharisee. 
Sometimes I, I serve because I want people to see me. Sometimes I serve because I'm like, you know what, I'm not feeling very valued today, so I'm going to put in a little bit of hard work over here so that person will say, hey, good job, ads. And that's like a drug. And it's like, oh, yeah, come on, I'm, got, I'm valuable. Okay, I'm, I'm meant to be here. Is anyone with me or is it just me? Yeah? <laughs> I remember when I was doing my internship at a church in Horsham in 2006. And uh, I call that the year of I'll do it. Anytime anyone had anything that needed to get done, straight away, I'll do it. I'll do it. In fact, I do graphic design now, like some of this stuff and all that, right? It's taken me a long time to get there, but I'll tell you what, when I started in 2006 and they said, hey, we need someone who didn't design something for graphic design, I went, I'll do it. Man, they should not have let me do it. I was horrible. <laughs> I was the worst graphic designer out there. Like, you could make something in paint or clip art and it would be like 10 times better. But I did it because I wanted the youth pastor who I looked up to, to look at me and say, man, Adam's got some skills and therefore I'm valuable. Hey, we need someone who can preach a message at youth. Yep, I'll do it. Oh, but you're already doing the giving talk. No, I'll do that one too. I'll do them both. And I became overcommitted in so much different things and I was doing things that I wasn't passionate about, that I wasn't called to, that I really didn't want to do, but I did them because I wanted somebody to see value in me. And here's the problem with serving so others will see you. And here's the problem with serving like a Pharisee and putting your hat in every single uh, arena and making sure that you're doing lots of different things is it's not a gospel centered around Jesus Christ. What it is, is it's serving in a gospel centered around me. It's the gospel of me. I want the praise. I want the glory. I want the affirmation. I want people to look to me and say, what an awesome leader. I want people to look to me and say, man, I want to be like him. It's the gospel of me. But we can't live like that. That's the opposite of the gospel. Gospel is die to yourself. Give yourself away. Pick up your cross and follow me. Be a living sacrifice. The amount of times that Jesus says, hey, empty yourself of you, die to yourself and be filled with me. I don't know how we keep coming back to this me gospel, but it happens. Dietrich Bonhoeffer had a great quote. He says, when God calls a man, he bids him come and die. Come and die to yourself. There's a guy named James Calvert and he was a missionary who would go to Fiji and uh, Fiji was a bit of a volatile place at the time. And one time on his missions trip, they were going over there and they were getting closer and closer to the island. And uh, word was starting to swirl that it was becoming more volatile and Christians were being killed. And the captain of the ship goes up to James Calvert, the missionary, and he says, why did we come here? You don't understand. In coming for this missions trip, you have just killed every single person on this ship. And James Calvert replies, we died before we came here. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about his kingdom. So if you're in that space of, I want to serve so others will see me, take this moment to take that to God. Get your value from him, your affirmation from him, and then put the rest to the wayside. We don't serve for our own glory. Another thing that we don't want to do is serve out of duty and obligation. 
duty and obligation. Just before Keziah was born, she's now 12. Uh, just before she was, bo- uh, just sorry, just after she was born, I started working in a meat factory because I hadn't had a job and I've got this baby, so I need to start bringing in money. So I started working at this meat factory that was close to my home and I started at the same time as my brother. And we started going in and every day we'd go, we'd do our shift. I worked from like three o'clock in the afternoon to like 1 a.m., right? Afternoon shift, hated it, worst, right? But as we started to work, we started to realize, man, I hate this job. (laughs) Have you ever had that realization? Well, you're you're halfway through a job and you go, you know what, I hate this. My job was literally this. I worked on a machine called the Mondini, right? So uh, the Mondini was the machine that would separate things into little packets and it would often be like the little bacon bits, like the ham cubed meat and stuff. So I would work on that machine. This is literally my job from uh, three o'clock till like 1 a.m. And sometimes I did overtime and I was there till 3 a.m., right? And I would literally get a, a, a little trolley and I would take it over to where these big logs of meat come out and I would put them in the tray and then I'd take them over and I'd put them in the machine and then I'd get my trolley again and I'd go and get all these big packets, like the, the packets that you get sausages and stuff in, like the hard on the bottom but the film on the top. I'd get all those packets and I'd go and stand at my station, turn the machine on and I'd grab a whole thing of trays and I would do this for the whole shift. And it was not long where I realized I'm halfway through doing this. Man, I hate this. This job sucks. Why am I doing this? And my brother had the same thought, but my brother didn't have it as lucky as me. See, I was in slice and dice where pepperoni gets sliced and things get diced. He drew the short straw. He was in thawing, right? So he was in the area of the factory where they would bring in all the frozen meat, so nothing was killed there. He'd bring in all the frozen meat and they would thaw it, right? So the room was always warm and smelt like meat and you'd walk on the floor in your boots and you would stick because of all the blood on the floor. (laughs) And my brother had a real hard time with it. And about two months in, my brother and I, and there was like a big tunnel to go to where you have to like, you know, you go into the, the factory. And we're walking down the tunnel and my brother just does this. He just stops and he goes, can't do it anymore. And he walks out and he just goes home. He never went back. Didn't tell anyone. Never said, oh, you know what, I'm resigning. Just, nah, can't do it anymore. Bosses would come to me all the time. Where's, where's your brother? Where's your brother? I don't know. So he was there for two months. And he kept asking me. And I was there for 14 months, right? And he kept asking me, Adam, how do you do it? How do you keep going into that place? And by the way, no one's happy, right? No one's happy. It's like a DC movie. Everything's dark and gloomy. <laughs> you go in there, no one's smiling, it's like Soviet Russia in there. It's just, it's horrible. Yeah, I said it. So he goes, how do you do it? How do you keep going in there day after day? And not only that, but you keep doing overtime. And I said, well, I've got a family. I've got to put food on the table. I've got to pay bills. I've got rent to pay. I, I don't have a choice. He didn't have a family at this stage. I'm like, I, I don't get the choice to just sit around and play Xbox. Like, I've got to go to work. But here's the thing about duty and obligation. Is duty and obligation, yeah, it gets the job done for a time. It gets the job done for a time, but it is not sustainable. 
It is not sustainable. And here's why it's not sustainable. Because when you're serving out of duty and obligation, there is this inner pull. There is this war with inside yourself. There is this, this turmoil of, you know what, I've got to do it because it needs to get done. But over here, I don't want to do it. I don't like this. I don't want to be here. And how many of us, unfortunately, get in that space where we serve like that? Oh, the youth needs people. Fine, I'll go. I don't want to do it, but I'll do it because no one else is doing it. Or kids ministry. Oh, I'm not really passionate about kids ministry, but you know what? I'll do it because otherwise it won't run, so I've got to do it. How many of us get in that space where we're choosing what to serve in and we go, what's the least thing I hate? Okay, what's, what am I going to serve? Like, we can't serve out of duty and obligation because you can't sustain that war inside, that pull inside. You know, the scripture doesn't say serve one another in duty, serve one another in obligation, serve one another in a chore, serve one another in love. You see, our service needs to be an overflow of what's inside, of our hearts, because then it's sustainable, and then it will continue. And no matter what gets thrown at you amidst it, you will stay with it, because I love it. It's what I'm called to do. Growing up, my dad every morning had the same routine getting out of, out of bed. <laughs> he would go to the lounge room and he would put on the TV and he'd put on Sky News on Foxtel and he'd pick up his cup and he'd check it. If it was empty, he'd go put more coffee in it and if it was coffee there with like, you know how like coffee sits overnight and it gets that film on top, that skin and stuff? He would just go bung that bad boy in the microwave. <laughs> Slurp off the skin first. <laughs> chew it up, and then drink his coffee. <laughs> and now and again, my mum, she just hated this, right? I found it amusing. I loved it, right? It was like the morning show. Oh, alarm's going. My dad's going to get up. Better go watch the coffee routine. But my mum hated it, and she would often say to him, can you please just wash the mug? I don't care if you're constantly drinking the same gross coffee, but just wash the mug. Because this was a white mug, but the inside was a very dark brown, right? Because he never washes it. He just puts more coffee in and goes again, right? So my dad would go and he'd wash the outside of the mug <laughs> and put more coffee in. And it's interesting because Jesus refers to a similar thing when he's talking to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 25. He says, you're like a cup that's dirty inside and you wash the outside, but it's still dirty inside. And then he goes even further and he says, you're like whitewashed tombs. Inside there is death but on the outside, it's beautiful and clean. When we serve out of duty and obligation, it sometimes feels like that. It's like, I'm doing it, and you know what? Like, maybe I'm going to go to youth, and I don't really want to do it, but they need help. So I'm going to go there, and when the kids turn up, I'm going to be smiling and happy, and everyone's going to love the fact that I'm there. But the reality is, inside, I am dying because it's not where I'm meant to be. It's not who I'm called to be. Jimmy Needham, who's a great Christian singer, has this awesome song called The Story, and he has this quote. He says, Outwardly clean, but inside full of dead man's bones, like the Taj Mahal. It looks good and all, but there's nobody home. When it comes to serving, the outside, the exterior, if that's all you're focused on, you will not last. It's not sustainable. We need to look at the inside because that's going to affect the outside. So, <laughs> how do we serve then? We serve because it's the heart of Jesus. That's why we serve, right? 
Uh, in 1 Samuel 16, we see this beautiful story of Samuel who is told to go to the house of Jesse. And God says, go to the house of Jesse and I'm going to show you who the new king of Israel is going to be and you are to anoint him. So Jesse, uh, Samuel goes to Jesse's house and he starts looking at all his sons and man, whoo, they're a good looking bunch. <laughs> you got all the guys who are big and strong and powerful, they're leaders, they're bold, they speak with authority. Samuel even goes as far as to say to God, hey, Eliab, he looks awesome. He should be the king. And God replies, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way that you see things. People judge by the outward, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. You see, what we need to do is we need to be a church where our heart and God's heart are one in the same. We need to get to the space where we say, God, let me love the things that you love. Let me care about the things that you care about. Let me despise the things that you despise. Let me work for the things that you want to work for. I want my heart to be exactly like yours. So what's God's heart? When it comes to service, I can wholeheartedly say that his heart is people. People. See, Jesus, yeah, Jesus had a schedule. How many times did people come to Jesus and say, hey, you need to go over here and fix this situation? Or, hey, Jesus, come with me, someone's sick. Or, hey, Jesus, we're going to go to this town, then we're going to go to that town. Jesus wouldn't have been so unorganized that he didn't have a schedule and he had an idea where he was going. But every single time that Jesus was on his place somewhere else and someone needed him, that person had his undivided attention. Because people always should win over program and schedule. People first. That's the heart of Jesus. You see, we see the story, like, for example, of the woman with the issue of blood. Fantastic story. Amazing story. This person goes from a stranger when Jesus says, who touched me? And then when he sees the woman, he says, woman, why did you do it? And then when she explains, he says, daughter, go and make you well. She went from a stranger to a woman to family. That wouldn't have happened if Jesus was focused on schedule because if you read that story, he was going somewhere else. But for Jesus, his heart is people. People over program. So if we are going to be looking at serving and signing up for different things, we need to ask a series of questions. Am I right? So the questions that we might like to ask is, what are my gifts and talents? Luke preached on this last week. What are the things that God's given you that he's built in you? He's formed you together. He's knit you together in your mother's womb. What are those gifts that God's given you for the mission that you are called to? And the mission that you are called to according to your gifts, you can do it better than anybody else because you're built for it. So a valid question is, what are my gifts? Another question is how? How can I use my gifts and my talents? Okay, I know my gifts. Well, who needs help that would utilize these gifts? How can I use my gifts and talents? Even where? Where should I serve? Who needs help? Where is there a space that fits with my gifts and talents and they'll utilize my gifts and talents? What? How? Where? But I actually think that they're not the first question we need to be asking. 
Because if we're going to align our hearts with God's heart, if we're going to do what God did, if we're going to do what Jesus did, we can't ask a what question, a how question, or a where question. We have to ask a who question. And I think the first question we need to ask before we go look at these sheets, before we pray about where am I called to serve, we need to ask, who has God given me a heart for? Who has God given me a heart for? Because when you're serving the who that God's given you a heart for, everything else falls into place and you will serve long-term with passion, with fire, and you won't burn out. I used to work for a camping ministry and the first camp I ever went on was at at, uh, Phillip Island. And I remember when I turned up to camp, the camp director says to me, hey, okay, Adam, this is your first camp. We're just going to have you as a cabin leader. You're just going to learn the ropes Um, And we've given you cabin six. And what I didn't realize, and I realized many, many years later, is cabin six was that cabin, (laughs) right? It was those boys, right? We know, if you've ever been on a camp, you know what that cabin means. Always causing trouble, always fighting, always stirring people. And particularly in a Christian camp, they were the ones that were the back picking on people for worshiping, um, scoffing at the messages. It was just that cabin, So I'm there leading these boys the best I can. I'm struggling. I'm going to the camp director. I'm saying, man, this is tough. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do with these boys. One night, one of the boys, the ringleader of the boys, comes up to me and he goes, Adam, and by the way, the thing if you ever go to camp, the thing he's about to say, if you hear anyone say this, hit a fire alarm, (laughs) right? He comes up and he goes, Adam, feeling a bit off in my tummy, Right? Camping ministry, I tell you what, and if you're at camp, you don't play with that, right? You go home, call your mum, we're getting you out of here, right? But I made the mistake of saying, you'll be right, mate. <laughs> Have a glass of water, you'll be right. Go to sleep, two in the morning, I, I, I hear lights clicking and I sort of open my eyes long, early enough to see him sort of disappear into the, the bathroom toilet area. And as the good leader does, I rolled over and went back to sleep. And I woke up in the morning, I'm like, oh, I should actually check on him. And I look over and he's fast asleep, just loving life, big smile on his face. I'm like, oh, it all worked out. Uh, It did not work out. I got up, went to the toilet, the horror of what I saw. All right, if you're squeamish, just... (laughs) What I saw was a brown room. (laughs) There was poo everywhere. Right, the poo was came up the water level, like over the water level of the toilet. There was poo on the floor. There was poo on the seat. There was poo on the cistern on the flush button. There was poo under the toilet seat, which I still don't know how you do that. Maybe you just need to shake it up a little bit, seat up, seat down. I don't know. There was two handprints along the wall, <laughs> like a velociraptor of poo, like just right. And the best part is that there were two poo handprints underneath the bowl. At which point I turn around to this guy and I'm like, how bad was it that you needed to hold on? (laughs) Now what I didn't realize is that at these campsites they had a procedure for things like this. So you go and you talk to the campsite, they put on all their PPE, their protective equipment, and they go and they clean it up. I didn't know that. So I cleaned it up. 
I'm sitting there with rolls of toilet paper trying not to let it touch my skin. I didn't have gloves or anything. I'm just like, let's just go at this, right? I'm a good leader, right? Anyway, he went home with gastro, followed by about four other kids in my cabin. And uh, at the end of camp, uh, all the other leaders were going, you know what, we are never going to see Adam again. I served there for five years. Every camp, I was there. Sometimes there was poo, sometimes there wasn't. Sometimes there was vomit, sometimes there wasn't. Most camps were difficult in their different ways. But I kept going back because circumstance could not override my heart for what these kids were going to experience. I loved these kids. I loved the fact they were on camp. I loved the fact that they were experiencing God in a new and a fresh way. I loved the fact that when it came to that night of camp and there was a call for who wanted to follow Jesus, hands shot up in the air. And I can tell you now, seeing people advance in their journey with Jesus, give their lives to Jesus, passionately follow Jesus, trumps poo every day of the week. You can quote me on that. We have to have the heart for Jesus. And the heart for Jesus starts with who? Who has God given me a heart for? Because when you're serving in the who and times get difficult, it will sustain you. You'll stick with it. It won't phase the calling that God's got on you to serve. So yeah, we should know our gifts, absolutely. We should utilize our talents And we serve where there's need, but it starts with the who. I can tell you now, if you talk to Paul and you say, hey, why do you do worship? I bet you he's not going to say, I just love like melt-facing solos. He probably does, but that's not why he serves on a Sunday morning. And I've talked to Paul about this. He serves because he's passionate about the church, the who, encountering a loving and close relational God. If you asked Esther why she serves out in kids' ministry, I can tell you now, like, she's got kids of her own. No one wakes up in the morning and goes, I could do 30 more. (laughs) I'm sure it's not because she loves cutting out paper or sitting on little seats. It's because she loves kids. It's the who. It's sustainable. Josiah doesn't become a youth intern because, you know what, I love just messy games. I love just getting paint and spaghetti in my hair. It wakes me up in the morning. It's because he loves youth. Simon and Sandra don't serve in women's ministry because no one else would do it. Do it because they love women. They love seeing women encounter God and and walking in their freedom. Who is the who for you? I think if you know the who, and then that aligns with your, your giftings and your callings, Man, you won't even need to go, oh, what should I serve in this? Like, you know, you just know exactly where you're going because God has already put it inside you. So Luke's going to come up soon and he's going to ask you to go and look at those sheets. But I would ask you to first ask the question, who has God given me a heart for? Align with his heart and serve with love for each other. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you're a God that sees us. I want to thank you that you're a God that loves us. Your heart is for us. And God, as we, as we, we, we look about who we, who we serve and how we serve, God, we ask that you would, uh, you would put those people on our hearts, those people that, that you care about, that you have designed us to care about. 
those people who, who we want to see a change in, those people who we want to see grow closer to you. God, I just ask that you would stir us up, that you would challenge us and encourage us, and that just like you, we would serve others, that we would die to ourselves, we'd pick up our cross, and we'd follow in your footsteps and serve. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our weekly message. If you live in the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne, we'd love for you to join us for our Sunday morning service. All the information can be found on our website, follow.church. You can also follow us on social media at Follow Baptist Church.